You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, August the 29th. Coming up on today's edition, we'll be asking why trainer Jean-Claude Rouget has decided to bypass the ARC trials and head straight to the biggest race in France with the favourite Ace Impact. We'll be trying to work out which horse will be winning the Irish Champion Stakes in his absence and could it yet go back to France. We'll also be checking in with a British-born Australian-based rider who's been excelling in Japan, perhaps en route to a tilt at the Japan Cup. That's Rachel King. And as we head round the Bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees, we check in with Tom Blaine from Barton Stud, who's got a busy week at the Goffs UK Premier Yearling Sale that's taking place in Doncaster. But first of all, you'll have heard Jane Mangan and I discuss in brief yesterday the awful events that had taken place at Saratoga during the course of this meet. Latterly, the fatality of New York Thunder went well clear in the Grade 1 Alan Jerkins Memorial Stakes at the weekend. This had a grim echo of the other high-profile catastrophic fatality earlier in the meet that befell Maple Leaf Mel in the Test Stakes. These were in front of the biggest Saratoga audiences, on Travers Day and Whitney Day, respectively, the two marquee days of the meet, uh, the racetrack which offers one of the uh, biggest and most storied shop windows in the sport of American horse racing. And that in conjunction with a whole spate of fatalities at Saratoga, following on from the fatalities uh, at Churchill Downs, which led to the meet being moved to Ellis Park, the conversation has started again as to not only the future of, uh, of dirt racing in North America, but the future of horse racing as a whole, um, Kentucky Derby winning trainer Graham Motion joins me now. Graham, there's no doubt that for you and everybody else, winning that race was a an absolute career highlight. Are, are you? What What do you feel now about the future of racing on on dirt, having seen what you've seen over the last few weeks? I think we've really found ourselves in in dire straits. Um, as you just mentioned to me before this interview, you know, we're talking about two of the highest profile days in racing at Saratoga um, in front of huge audiences and grade one races. We've just had these shocking breakdowns um, on the dirt track. And I think the evidence has been shown that synthetic tracks are by far and away safer surfaces. There's statistics don't lie and i think we've got to come to the realization that this is the way we're going to have to go in this country if we're going to save our sport because no one wants to come out to watch horse racing and have to hold their breath and and worry about these just shocking injuries And, and i know they can happen on other surfaces and i know we've had some problems with the turf course uh including one of my own we've also had some very difficult weather at Saratoga this summer it's been very wet but I think the the injuries on the turf course are the exception whereas the injuries on the dirt course you know this is something that that's been going on and it continues to go on and we have an alternative we have synthetic tracks and I think for those who are against it whether it's because of the you know the the thought that people don't want to bet on it as much uh, from horsemen that think you deal with other injuries. 
I think we have to take it on its face value that it's just a safer service. We'll, we'll swallow the, the lesser injuries that we may have on the synthetic surface, which I, I'm not even sure that that's... I'm, I'm not even sure the statistics show that. I train... You know, I do 90% of my first works at Fair Hill on a synthetic track, and I've been very comfortable with it for quite a few years now. Um, and I think, you know, the betting dollars is neither here nor there at this point, because if we don't do something quick, we're going to lose our sport altogether. Uh, I mean, clearly we've got limited time here, and this is something, you know, that would would befit several dissertations probably, but is there any reason given the efforts that have been made, and they have been real efforts, to, to make the sport safer, in certainly since since 2018, 2019, is there any reason why you think we are now at a, a real and meaningful tipping point and why 2023 as a whole has been such an awful year in this regard? You know, it's very hard to get your head around because we are so much stricter now than when I first started training as far as the vet checks, um, of which we have many now, especially on these big days. Um, we are so much more... Uh, you know, even with our own personal private veterinarians, I think we're much stricter. We have many qualifications that we have to do before we even enter horses. Um, everything is much more, much better supervised. The medication withdrawals have been spaced away from the races, so horses are not able to race on medication. Um, so everything has kind of been done except for the for the racing surface. And I can't tell you why we've had this rash of, of injuries but what I can tell you is that now it's become such a significant issue in our sport that it's it's just steamrolling because every time there's another injury, it's just it's just building on it and no longer will they go unnoticed. And we've really got to stop. We've got to stop this from happening because the spotlight is on us. And if we don't fix it, we're going to be in trouble, in my opinion. I mean, I I will hold my hands up and and will we'll quite happily admit to the fact that until the last few years, I would always say, well, you know, dirt racing's got a great tradition. It produces fantastic racing quite often. It's about maintaining the tracks properly and making sure that medication is administered responsibly and making sure that we are not sending, you know, horses with issues to the races, tightening up our controls. But as you've pointed out, we, we seem to have done quite a bit of that, yet the catastrophic injury issue, certainly in, in, at the big track, seems to have seems to have got worse and I'd be interested to know whether that the pendulum has swung in your opinion walking around the backside talking to other trainers talking to people who've been in the game a long time has the pendulum of opinion amongst horsemen amongst trainers and jockeys swung do you think this year because of what's happened listen Nick these injuries in the last few weeks have been shocking um, even the most diehard racing people you, you cannot go on without being offended about what's happened to these poor horses um if nothing else the synthetic tracks will, will slow horses down i mean people say there's nothing in common here but yeah there is something in common these were two sensational three-year-olds a filly and a colt who were incredibly fast animals and were obviously pushed to their limits willingly this is you know they were just fast horses that were going as fast as they could but on a surface 
that's probably questionable, particularly on Saturday where it was actually had rained some, and it ended up being on a on a a sealed um, wet main track, um, which is always something that concerns me. So if nothing else, these synthetic tracks will slow horses down. I would imagine somewhat similarly to your turf courses. Mm. You can only go so fast on those courses, and surely the common denominator here is that these were incredibly talented first three-year-olds that were just going as fast as they can. And for whatever reason, it was their undoing, right? I mean, Graham, certainly in, in some cases since 2019 in particular, the tracks have been quite brisk and occasionally quite ruthless in seeking to root out people who they think are not giving their horses the best chance of racing as sound athletes, but have the tracks paid enough attention to themselves and to their own management and to their own practices? Yeah, and I, I think you're dealing with two top track superintendents here, um, whether it's New York or Churchill. I mean, they have fantastically dedicated uh, racetrack managers, um, what would you call them? Clerk of the courses, I guess, um, who are absolutely dedicated to what they do. So I can't point fingers at them, or, or I don't think anyone can be pointing fingers at them. I think we have to look at the surface, and the statistics are black and white that synthetic is a safer surface. So if we want to try and limit this, limit these kind of injuries even more, we have to choose to go that route. And when we went through this before in this country, we didn't give them a chance. We, we did not allow the synthetics to, to be put in correctly. We rushed it. We've got to do this properly because at this point, it's, it's all we have. You know, we've tried everything else, so we've got to change the surface because I think we're all going to be holding our breath watching the Kentucky Derby next year after what we've been through this year. Uh, Graham Motion there, Kentucky Derby winning trainer. Let's not forget multiple Breeders' Cup winning trainer. Uh, his carefully considered thoughts on events of the last few weeks in Saratoga and indeed the year in the United States. And trainer Mark Cassie, another Kentucky Derby winning trainer, has said many of of the similar things in, in today's uh, Thoroughbred Daily News. Rishi Passad was listening to that. Uh, Rishi, what are your thoughts on on Graham's, Graham's words there? The, the call for a change, an urgent change to the racing surface, the dirt surface in America is is growing louder and louder. Um, in uh, the Thoroughbred Daily News, there's an article from oh, a question and answer uh, article involving Mark Cassie and his sentiment echoing that of, of Graham Motions um, about the, 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 the nature of not only racing but training on a dirt surface and the fact that he had in, in the past uh, spoken to um, a number of people and been involved with um, a number of decisions made in, the, in, in North American racing to do with the use of synthetic surfaces over dirt racing. But even you referenced it in when you were talking to Grow Motion, Nick, about the use of the word tradition and how important it is for tradition. And Mark Cassie and, and Grow Motion have both highlighted the fact that tradition uh, may ultimately be done away because racing will be history if it, it carries on this yeah. sort of in this sort of manner and that's that's the biggest worry that the sport is in danger not just a racing surface i mean if you go back 
four or five years, you were urging the sport to get its house in order in, in all sorts of respects, as I was saying to, to Graham there. And mm. we, we're familiar with the traditional arguments about, about medication, about uh, regulation, about the uniformity of regulation. I mean, the grim irony is, as Teresa Gennaro has pointed out in an excellent article that she's published mm. this morning, that it, it's never been safer, you know, statistically <laughs> to race to race horses on the dirt. Um, but that kind of doesn't matter now almost because the incidents are coming in spates. They're coming at the highest profile tracks. They're coming in front of the biggest audiences and they are coming catastrophically at, at times when this is being put right in the faces of the of the widest possible racing audience and that's whether whether the numbers are coming down or not that is not a sustainable situation it then casts the dangers of the sport massively into the spotlight and so when it happens to the degree that you've highlighted you know we're talking if you add up the horses on the race course as well as those in training in double figures um in such a short space of time even what Teresa Gennaro says about the fact that it's you know it's not far away from a hundred percent in being horses that race and return safely, that the tiniest minute fraction is enough to warrant danger for the sport and serious danger because of the the, the impact of what we've seen in the last few months and in the last weekend. Well, one horse who's not going anywhere near Ireland next weekend, indeed not going anywhere until the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, is the current ARC favourite, uh, Ace Impact. Now, the voice you just heard was uh, Adrian Cunhas's uh, little boy, um, who's going to, I think, possibly make a cameo appearance on the podcast. Um, Adrian, good morning. This is some serious multitasking going on here. Um, you've got your son just there in the background with you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's, he's, he's an horse racing enthusiast. And he, he, he's seen, he was there when uh, Ace Impact won in Deauville, and he was um, very enthusiastic, even if he's only 14 months. So <laughs> he, he may be the youngest correspondent we've had on this show, though. Mine do make an appearance on a, on a fairly regular basis. I wanted to pick your brains. Um, obviously, you're, you're with Jour de Gallo, you're, you're following the, the French scene every day. And to us, it seems a little strange, having had the run in the Guillaume Donano, that Ace Impact won't take in one of the traditional trials or even maybe go to the Irish Champions Stakes. What do you think is going through Jean-Claude Rouget's mind? I, I, I think it's a, it's a horse that have been sold for a massive price with the perspective of his telling career. And so there is a massive pressure. And they really want uh, to uh, give him a perfect uh, CV before he, he goes to stallion duties. And um, so they really want to uh, have, have an end of a career which would be pristine, perfect. And so um, the horse has shown, uh, uh, you know, um, has shown that it, it was a bit tense, I would say. So uh, I, I guess that they want to follow uh, Jean-Claude Rouget's um, experience and, uh, and, and Rouget advised, you know, to go directly to Arc. I think the owners, they were keen on uh, uh, going to, to Ireland, but uh, uh, Rouget uh, is a master's trainer and he says that in the best interest of the horse, uh, they should go directly without a prep price to the big race. And, uh, you know, for a long time, I would say for the two first decades, Rouget had little 
problems with Hawk. He probably didn't have a horse is good enough and he didn't achieve. And he seems now that he he finds the right buttons and, and the right uh, way to prepare horse for such a big race and not only to be classic winners. So uh, they all have massive pressure and I really saw them both owners and trainers so tense before before race. They say the horse he was only at 80% of, of what he could do. And uh, he did it in fine style. He was less impressive than uh, uh, on, on the classic victory. But uh, on, on the same time, is a, um, uh, if it's true, if he's, he was only 80%, that's a, that's a good reason. Yeah, when you say tense, it, it, you get sometimes horses get to the end of their sort of toward the end of their career. I know he's only a three-year-old, but sometimes they start to think about you know other things, and they start to think about being a being a stallion. And you just have to play that that game really carefully. I suppose there's there's two ways of doing that. You either run them more often, or you try and go right. This is a one-shot deal, and just chuck everything at the one race. Yeah, but, 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 but that's clearly possible. So obviously, uh, owners and trainers they didn't uh, they, they wouldn't tell you that. But uh, it's it's a it's a it's a possibility, and 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 I think that uh, trials could be sometimes a bit. Uh, a, a, a bit of a trap, and 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 in, in that perspective, you would like this three-year-old uh, to be in 100% of his capacity to to go to to the big race, both mentally and physically. So uh, Rougein, he, he knows this horse best. He made he made a lot of good choices previously, like he was entered in, in very good maiden at the August month of his three-year-old career, and they didn't run there. The, the horse, so he's on race at two, and probably it was a good option considering the, the following. So sometimes a trainer have to, have to, has to follow his instinct and, and, and for, for the best of the horse. And, and, and I think that the owners of Ace Impact are um, experienced owners, and they know that uh, it's no good to go against the experience of your trainer. That was uh, Adrian Cunhas from Jour de Gallo with help from his 14-month son, Rishi Passad is with me I, i'm not sure we can add much but it, it's it's quite clear that that rouge on the tightrope with this horse rishi and it's it's a one-shot deal it's one and out and he's got to wow. get it right for the day um but, does it make you want to back him well not really um there is no better man um you know there's some other very very good men who are probably equal but um and women but uh, it's, a, it's a massive challenge, obviously, to get any horse to a big race, particularly one that uh, has the ability, but also comes with maybe one or two challenges. Um, and Ace Impact has obviously looked amazing, Nick. I'm not telling anybody anything new. Um, but he will face the toughest test of his career when he goes to the arc, like everyone else will do. Um, it, it was interesting listening or reading some of the comments. Um, Pauline Chabot was talking about the fact that they still don't know, you know, how good this horse is. It's the unknown potential. But the flip side to that is they still don't know whether, I suppose, he will cope with um, what happens between now and the arc. So maybe not. Maybe not. Because that's just uh, a, an unknown. Um, anything does appeal to you at the moment as a bet in the arc? I, nothing, nothing is screaming at me. The horse that I'm leaning toward is is probably Westover, Nick, at the prices. You know, obviously there's not much between he and Huckham. Um, he went to to France last year. I mean, he didn't run too badly in the arc last year. And it's clear that conditions 
wasn't going to suit. Well, they weren't going to suit him last year. Um, and I think overall, he's just a better horse this year. And looking back at his runs, even when he got beaten in the Coronation Cup, I thought, yeah, I, I could almost forgive him a little bit the way the race unfolded that day. You know, he chased home Equinox well clear of Mostadaf in the Shima Classic and a terrific run um, behind Huckham. I just think maybe given how his prep has gone and he's slightly hardier horse than Huckham, I'm not saying that that's the be all and end all, that, you know, that's the form and that's the race, but um, uh, just at the prices, I'll take a chance on Westover right now, but it's not, it's not my final, not my final answer. So Ace Impact not in the Irish Champion Stakes. What will be in the Irish Champion Stakes? Well, we heard from Aidan O'Brien yesterday, August Rodan will be. That's at the uh, back end of uh, of next week, of course, part of Irish Champions Festival, Leopardstown and the Curra. Um, and we know also that King of Steel will be pointed there. Uh, that's very likely for Roger Varian and, and Ammo Racing. So we've already got a race. And then a couple of other Ballydoyles, I'm sure. Nashwar, I think it's the intention to to head there with with her, um, and suddenly things are shaping up quite nicely. Ernesto, who ran so well in the race last year for France, and you know it, it, the cover doesn't look too bare. No, and the the latter named horse that you mentioned, Ernesto, I thought ran a really good race um, in France recently. Uh, obviously, over a distance that wouldn't have suited him, and stepping back up to a mile and a quarter a race, obviously he ran such a, a fine. Uh, racing 12 months ago I, I'm at the moment looking at him pri primarily because August Rodan has now put in two runs that are almost inexplicable almost inexplicable um, and King of Steel I, I felt ran a really good race in uh, in the King George at Ascot but probably that's as good as he is for now maybe he's improved again and I and like you, you know, I don't think we're talking about a top-class vintage crop of three-year-olds. We're not talking about a vintage crop of four-year-olds and older horses, but we have got a very good one, and one that I think might slightly shade it overall in the all-age group one. So, for me, it would be, at the moment, Ernesto. And, and don't forget, I should have mentioned Al Flayler. He's set to be supplemented. So there's at least six good ones there, uh, mm. all pointing, we think, towards the Irish Champion Stakes, the Bahrain Irish Bay Bridge. Baybridge, if the ground is on the easy side as well. Mm. So, lots to go at. Right, Rishi, what happened at Downpatrick Racecourse yesterday? Uh, Downpatrick Racecourse yesterday, apart from the fact that um, Charles Burns had three winners and um, he came up short in the, the bid for a four-timer, there was a very well-backed winner of the two-and-a-quarter-mile handicap hurdle, Nick. Uh, the horse in question was a horse called Anyway, trained by Ken Buds. Uh, he was very well beaten on his first five starts. Uh, I think we're talking about hundreds of lengths in total that he was beaten by. He was about 28 to 1 uh, on Monday morning, but he was extremely well backed, returned at even money. Uh, you know, trainer quite happily uh, announced afterwards when he spoke to uh, Kevin Orion that he backed it. He said the horse is owned by his father. He said, I don't get any training fees, so I had to back it. From a, a punter's point of view, you're looking at the fact that this horse has run five times and shown absolutely nothing in public on the race course. And then he turns up and he goes from 28 to 1 to even money and he wins. He bolts up. I mean, he absolutely bolted up yesterday. Uh, and, the, and, and, the, it, and the other intriguing aspect of this, Rishi, is that the horse was purchased as a, a three-year-old store by none other than Charles, Charles Burns. Burns. 
Yes. Also Heavy. happened to have three winners on the same day and withdrew his intended runner in said race. <laughs> His intended yes. runner, having had issues getting to the track and got uh, quote unquote upset in the trailer, conveniently said horse's owner was traveling behind traveling behind them. So he never made it to the race course. All in all, a pretty extraordinary sequence of events. Exactly. The problem with it is that how do you contest all these all all, all, all these statements that have made all these uh, all the series of incidents that we've just we've just been told has happened, as you say extraordinary series of incidents you know how do you contest that and and challenge it well i guess that's what investigators and investigations are for as you point out this has been referred to the ihrb and for all that we have questioned on occasion down the years potency efficacy intent what recent events have told you what recent cases have told you is that if anything comes to light that suggests that a blatant snook has been cocked at authority, then action will likely be taken. Well, it's been a, a fruitful few days for British-born, Australian-based, multiple grade one winning rider Rachel King because she's been in Japan taking part in one of the most prestigious jockeys challenges in the world. You look at the list of riders who've gone well in this and it reads like a who's who, particularly from Australasia and from the Far East. Rachel narrowly missed out on victory, came second and a bit unlucky, Rachel, as well. Cause was your, your final ride had to be withdrawn? Uh, yes, that was the case. Um, I was leading uh, throughout the whole series and then just the, the last horse unfortunately went wrong. Um, only sort of a furlong to go as well. So it was a sort of a bit of a bittersweet moment, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was a, a great experience and great to be involved. I mean, it's not as though you're riding against people who aren't any good in, in New South Wales, but this was a this was a pretty pretty smart group. Who was the who was the group taking taking part in Japan? Uh, yeah, it was definitely the the elite sort of taking part. Um, that we had like so sort of Joe Morera and Christophe Lemaire, and obviously um, Luke Morris came over from England, and um, uh, Umberto who rides in he's actually rides in America, um, and another guy Alexis he he was uh, from Hong Kong, so sort of lots of yeah who's who, um, and obviously all the the locals as well, and you got sort of people like the the legend Yutaki Duck, so like it's a good good group of jockeys to be riding against. Now, what about you and Japan moving forward? Is is this going to be a, another string to your bow? Do you think on a on a semi permanent basis could that be a could that be an opening? Um, I think it's you know definitely probably opened a few doors. Uh, it's, it was nice to go and sort of see it um, just for the weekend and, and get a bit of a, a guide, I guess, on what it's like. And I, you know, I know they do sort of similar to Hong Kong, like where they do the sort of short term licenses, and it's not too sort of far from from Australia to get there. So it would definitely be something I'd be interested in, and hopefully, hopefully, be back there towards the end of this year as well for the Japan Cup. That's right, because Arapaho, you're one of your most recent Grade One winners. I read today that he might miss Caulfield. He might not be ready for the Caulfield Cup. Could that be a blessing in disguise as regards going to to Japan? It could definitely be. Yeah, like he had a little bit of a setback at the start of this prep, but he, he's back up and firing again now. And his uh, his first up run won't be far away, so he he might just have a, a slightly easier campaign going into the Japan Cup, which which definitely could help him in the long run. 
and many of our listeners won't be completely familiar with him. Do you think he's the sort of horse that would be well suited to to the demands of that? You know, a, a good swinging, honestly run, fast ground, twelve furlongs. Yeah, I, I think so. Look, he, he's a very tough horse mentally and physically. Um, he he sort of copes with anything we throw at him. I mean, he he competed in a Melbourne Cup, and I think he was sixteenth run that preparation. He, he's that kind of horse. He, he's super tough. He he doesn't mind a strong pace. Um, you know, he sort of likes relaxing off a strong pace, and he, he's got a very good turn of foot for a horse over that distance so I think um, he's definitely the right kind of horse to be taking there obviously you never quite know till you get there but um, yeah leading into it uh, I wouldn't want to be on anything else and how are you going to divide your your own time and commitments as we get into one of the busiest periods of Australian racing in the year um, yeah, look, obviously, luckily that's not till sort of after our Melbourne Carnival um, is pretty much finished from um, beginning of November. So it kind of fits in quite well that most of our big spring races are, are pretty much done by then for that meeting in particular. And then, you know, we have a little bit of a quieter time for a month or two. So if, you know, an opportunity arose then, um, it would be probably quite good timing to, to be able to ride there more often. And I don't know if you've been keeping your eye on the on the Melbourne Cup news coming out of Europe the last few weeks that it looks as though some of the better European horses with a chance are now back on the back on the trail after you know a couple of years where the the vet checks have have rather hindered hindered them um what what's the feeling on that in in, in Australia is it is it is it welcome that that internationals come over and and and, and make the race more competitive what what's this what's the sort of over, over overarching feeling amongst the professionals uh, yeah, I think so. Look, everyone, you know, everyone, including here, wants it to be the race that stops the nation. We want it to be the best race. Um, we want it to, you know, attract all the, the best horses and the best riders and the best trainers. So it's definitely, I think, welcomed. Um, like I said, it just makes it that little bit more competitive. And um, we always, yeah, it's like, like I said, you, you want a race like that to, um, it warrants having a good field. And yeah, I think this year, by the look of it, we'll be getting a few of those internationals back again. Rachel, thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thank you. All right, it's Tuesday, so we go the round the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. Ah, such a busy time for anybody in that world because we are now in the thick of sales season. No matter whether you think it's summer or autumn, always seems to be sales season. Uh, Doncaster this week, of course, for the Goffs Premier Yearling Sale, where I find Tom Blaine from Barton Stud. A little history on that uh, esteemed institution in a few moments. But Tom, first of all, how's it all going for you up there? Yeah, going well, really busy. Footfalls, footfalls very high. We've been fairly flat out for two days. Just finished showing. Um, got some nice horses, and I think everybody's sort of in the mood to buy, which is good. See how it goes tomorrow. Um, who are you really pinning your hopes on? What's knocked people's eyes out from your lot? Well, we've got a few nice ones. Uh, we've got a very nice see the stars, um, Cole, which is not a typical stallion you bring up to um bring up to John Cat the early you know the early this early early sale but he's a lovely colt and i deliberately bought him here because i think he you know is a nice looking typical donny horse so hopefully he's going well what what is what is a typical donny horse tom typical donny horse early two-year-old type um fast looking uh you know aiming to go to royal ascot that kind of that kind of horse as opposed to a slightly more classic horse 
a bit more size that would that would probably go to October, but one and two. So you've had to think outside the box a bit here and think, well, I'm going to play him on physical rather than play him on pedigree. Exactly, yeah, which, which is going, you know, a lot of people ask me why he's here, but as soon as they see him, they realise, uh, you know, he's out of a Frank mare, so it's a bit niche, but it's it's gone well, and uh, he's he's a lovely horse, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. And this, I'm going to say, just the beginning, we're, we're in quite well into sale season now. Just give me an indication of the likelihood of nights spent at home between now and Christmas. Uh, there'll be a few. I mean, we're very lucky because we're based, we're based uh, 20 minutes outside Newmarket. So um, a lot of the sales nights, we, you know, I am at home, but it's busy. It's busy. I think in October, I think we're, we're be, we won't be at Tassels for something like five days for the whole of October, which is quite extraordinary, but it's good fun. And it's what we do, so we can't complain. Tom, tell me a little bit about Barton Stud's background, its history. Uh, well, the, the history of Barton, it's, you know, it's been a stud for a for hundred years. Um, the Broughton family have, it's been a stud for slightly longer actually, but the Broughton family have owned it for a hundred, almost coming up to a hundred years. Um, it was leased to the Aga Khan for a bit through the war and um, they stood stallions like Night, night Shift and, and um, Most Welcome and other horses like that you know, a number of years ago. And more recently, uh, you know, I, I've been there 10 years now and we have sort of built it up uh, into a into a boarding facility that we that we board a lot of mares for for some big clients. And the, the real thing we try to grow is the sales arm, which we're sort of battling away at. So um, was it was it the case that you were really brought in to, to commercialize the, the farm to, to take it in a, in a slightly different direction? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I was there and I was young and I was lucky and Jamie and Sarah Borton gave me an opportunity and we've just kind of followed our noses and I, I've i always I always saw a huge amount of potential in the stud. It's an amazing facility. Um, it's great grass, it's great land, it breeds good horses. And so it's just been a case of putting it all together and, and building a brand and proving that we can produce racehorses and uh you know and 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 going from there really and just taking one step at a time it's been a great learning curve for me and you know i've just been learning as i've been going and we're just trying to do as best we can really and this year's been quite a fruitful one for you hasn't it on the track this year's been a, the best year we've had definitely um plenty of runners at ascot plenty of winners plenty of stakes horses and at the end of the day you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what we do it for you know um the whole stud system's geared around producing good racehorses, so it's just nice to see it when they do it on the track. Um, so it means it, it means a lot to us. And it just shows that what we're doing is right, and um, it gives us a lot of confidence going forward. And it feels like you've been in the industry for forever, but not the case, is it? You you came from a, a background that wasn't a traditional racing one. Yeah, not at all. I mean, my parents didn't. Um, hardly ever went racing. We were from a sort of eventing hunting family, and I. I came to Newmarket after university and just worked my way up from there, really. Um, and like I said, I was given an opportunity to run Barton at a young age. And, uh, you know, I could have gone traveling the world, but, but didn't. And I think you learn more when you're next on the line in charge than you ever were traveling. So it's a decision I, I'm delighted I took. And it's been a great experience. And I'm very proud of what we're doing and done. And um, we've got a, got a fabulous team and, 
it's all sort of coming together after after a lot of hard work, which is great. And, and can you identify key aims and ambitions now? When you look at the stud, think what you might be doing five, ten years from now. What what's in your mind's eye? Because you've you've clearly got a vision. Got a vision. Um, quality. It's all it's always about quality. We're just trying to always improve the quality of mares that live and board at Barton. Uh, the quality of stallions they're going to. The quality of horses we're raising and then selling and then uh and then racing so in terms of aims we, you know we're in the process of slimming down the mares that live at barton all the time so we're going to be more focused on less but better mares at, at, at barton doing less seasonal boarding and then on the sales front you know i'd love you know we've got 16 horses in book one this year and 25 i think in book two i'd like to I'd like to continue to build up at one draft and, you know, be up there with the really big boys one day and, 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 and you know, selling top lots. And, 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 and that's, that's kind of the aim, really, just trying to do our best there. What do you think the best people in the sport do best? What, what marks them out when you look at people who really succeeded and are where you want to be? Yeah. In breeding, I look, for me, I'm obsessed with sort of... Um, you can't cut corners. You know the the studs that do it the best are the are the studs that don't overgraze their land. Um, you, you know they 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 buy the best pedigrees. They go to the best stallions. Um, they have the best systems, and I think that you know for me that's what it's all about. It's about it's about it's about doing everything properly and to the best of your ability. Uh, if you cut corners in this game, you end up. You end up not 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 producing such good horses. You can get away with it for a little bit, but it's not sustainable. And I think the best people um, stick to stick to what they know uh, and what know what works and, and do it. And you know, as professionally as they possibly can. Uh, and finally, Tom, the the people that you've met and know in this industry, and there's lots of them over a number of years now, young and old, and, and you know from all different sections of the industry. Who do you look at and think, yeah, they've got the right idea? They're somebody who who plays the game the right way. Yeah, I mean, as far as studs are concerned, you've got to look at people like Jubmont, um, breeding amazing horses. Um, Watership Down, Simon Marsh has done an amazing job there. He produces you know, a beautiful draft of horses every year, and they produce good runners. Um, the obvious ones, like Coolmore and things. I think... Um, you know, more, more generally, people that I, yeah, someone like David Revers has built a lovely stud in in, in Gloucestershire uh, with some good stallions and has a has a has a very good business with some good clients. So those are the kind of people we're looking at and thinking that's that's kind of where we want to be one day. All right, thanks to Tom and to all my guests today. Rishi is back and he has for you a certain winner. That's what he told well, me. Anyway. <laughs> well, I hope so, Nick. Uh, the last race today at Newbury, uh, William Haggis has a horse called Unlimited, who has had three runs, ran pretty well last time out, didn't get the cleanest of runs at Hamilton. He's been gelded, and he's off a very low weight and a handicap at Newbury. He's actually a Saxon warrior half-brother to a Japanese derby winner in Deep Brillante. Um, and I just thought, it's screaming, back me. Um, we will. We will do as we're bid. Rishi, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. It, just a reminder, if you do enjoy this podcast, please uh, leave us a rating 
and or a review wherever you do consume your pods. Most importantly, uh, tell all your friends because we would like to have as many people on board as possible and we would very much like to see you back with us tomorrow. Thanks so much. That was Tuesday, August the 29th. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.